Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. What confused me this week, uh, Ruthie, was... Just uh, a multitude of things. <laughs> a multitude of things, as always. I've reached that time in life. But what particularly confused me about this was the fact that uh, you said you had important stuff to do back at York. So I have to give you a lift in the car back to York and then drive it back to Leeds. And then you followed this up with saying, Dad, can you, br- is, <laughs> can you bring me a sombrero? And I thought, what important work needs a sombrero? I mean, do you have lectures where you have no, to No, the wear sombrero, a sombrero is just, I'm trying to try new things, you know, I'm trying to spice my style up. So what? I thought hat would be the way to go what is the sombrero no the sombrero is to lend to a friend who's doing the otley run oh is that all it is so very boring dad i can't i can't entertain you with a funny funny story it's a pity that because It's, it's weird actually i was talking to one of my friends and i was saying i'm really struggling i've not been out as much this past week i've really I just went out on like one night out and thought I'm going to have working hard no working hard I had quite a lot of deadlines um, for like assessments and stuff and then also just you know purse strings tied and liver needed to recover and so I thought I'll take it easy problem with that is not got a story I've not got any funny antics of stories and so I was saying this I was like can you think of anything and she's like that's really a sad thing when you can't think of a funny story to tell your dad if you've not listened before by the way this is Ruthie Uni Dad and Me I'm a university student first year at the University of York studying French and Spanish and I'm just a dad yeah I mean and a poor one at that (laughs) on the subject of uh, the sombrero I mean, now you've told me what it's for. But as soon as you mentioned sombrero, I thought, hello, 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 cultural appropriation. Yeah. Well, there may be. I don't know. I but think... there's a lot of that about because I was not just cultural appropriation, but the whole thing about being a student is there's a large fancy dress element. I mean, I, I'm always seeing people in Leeds. Your degree is 70% like written work, 10% exams, and then the last 20% is just fancy dress. It's dressing mm, up, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> uh, 
And I've noticed that in uh, Oxford, they're having a crackdown on what people wear. In Oxford, apparently, they're very keen on these vicars and tarts and mm. pimps and hoes. Pimps and hoes. Um, one of the rugby boys who I live a couple of doors down from, um, he borrowed a bunch of my various different jewellery and clothes and a dress from someone else when he had to do pimps and hers. Right. Because he's the her and then girls are pimps. I didn't know you had a lot of that hoe stuff or I suppose it's the way you put it all together. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it's more just like any man wearing a dress is like you can get away with it. I like to think that I don't often look hoish. Well, I would like to think not. Yeah. The other, the other thing they always did in uh, Oxford apparently was have fox hunters. So that's all. What's fox hunters? They would dress up in like jodhpurs that you use for riding, like posh people who go out fox hunting. Oh. Oh, right, OK. I've just, I've never seen someone dressed... I didn't know you got dressed up to That's hunt foxes. Thing. Oh, they do, they do. They wear, uh. they wear a hat, like a hard hat type thing. They wear a red velvet waistcoat. Also, it's almost like, like polar outfits seen, and stuff. Sort I, of. I promise you, I've never seen someone dressed up to hunt foxes. But you must have seen it in films, surely. Have you not, not seen... Not really. I mean, I've seen those kind period, of outfits. I, I understand what the kind of outfits is. I didn't realise that was a fox hunting thing. Hmm. Well, anyway, you can't do it in Oxford anymore, is the point. Uh, the Students' Union said, uh, fancy dress parties stereotype men and women and may offend non-binary people. Students have been urged to avoid parties themed around pimps and hoes and fox hunts. Oh, um, it's just one of those things that, like, where do you draw the line? Like, I do definitely think there has been fancy dress ideas which are way over the line like there was in Durham which is obviously massive ex-mining town I think I might have mentioned this before one of their things was the second years went the second and third years went as Margaret Thatcher's the freshers went as minors which is just <laughs> incredibly poor taste and it's, it, poor taste, it's quite it's funny, funny it is quite it's funny, funny. But, and, and I think it's really good to have as a little jerk and you can say oh like why don't we do Margaret Thatcher and the minors instead of she- shepherds and sheep or whatever but I think it's one of those things where you're like let's stop this as a jerk let's not actually dress up as Margaret Thatcher in an ex-mining town. Yeah. Just because also there's so much town and gown, like, um, tension in a place like Durham. It's best to err on the side of caution, I think. Well, you say that. Err or err? Do you know, I think uh, err... I don't think Uh, it matters. I don't think it matters. I wouldn't, you know, don't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I won't let keep me up. Don't let that keep me up. Do you want to know what my fancy dress is for tonight? Ah, oh, you got to do tonight. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday ah, spot. So is that night. why I'm driving you? No, back? No, no, I'm you're driving me back because I want to see here the um, different reps for the um, like our block, and there's like a well-being officer, and that it's like election week, so they're talking in the um, oh, it's election the, like, for just common sm- room. This is like for smaller ones, and then there's a whole big useful election going on. So there's two different elections going on. I want to hear some of them speak and stuff. But then part of the reason is also. Because it's Wednesday, which is sports night, and um, I'm dressed. It's ours is Love Island themed this week. That seemed rather poor taste, given what's given happened. the current. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think they plan them all way in advance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's Love Island themed. So, what are you going to uh, wear? I've got like a Hawaiian shirt. I'm thinking of wearing that. I think it's more people will just look summery, I guess, in the middle of winter. Yeah. Um, but I thought I would mention. Um, that I was doing Love Island because I did want to speak about Caroline Flack maybe a little bit. Just oh, there's such a lot been said. So, oh, I think everything that could possibly be said has been said, and maybe 
maybe that's like part of the problem as well is that everyone's decided they have like an opinion on it but I do think it is like um I've heard a lot of people saying they were genuinely like quite upset about it or not that they were upset but it was like an upsetting thing that came Mm. out and I just think it is so symptomatic of this kind of like 24 hour news cycle that we live in and I do think the more and more we decide that people can have prosecution or whatever by media rather than or trial by media rather than by an actual court of law Mm. the more we're going to end up with cases like this yes i mean due process does seem to be kicked to one side and i think in a way it's the law of unintended consequences in that we know domestic violence i was talking about this with your mother actually and years ago uh, a chap would slap his wife for instance and the police would come around and say oh it's only a domestic it was a domestic disturbance. Mm. No big deal. No need for the police to get involved. If the wife said, no, no, it's fine. I'm not going to press the case. Yeah. Uh, and feminism did, and it's quite absolutely right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but they did argue against that sort of attitude yeah. towards domestic violence. And in the law of unintended consequences, what has happened now is the CPS, the uh, prosecution service, has decided the rule is that on domestic violence, which they It was dis- common assault was yeah, well, the, but the a dom- eventual thing, but yeah. a domestic, domestic violence yeah. incident. The rule is you, despite the fact that the chap, I don't know his name... You um, he's an ex-apprentice um, contestant. Oh, God, I can't remember his name. OK. The chap said he didn't want to prosecute. Mm-hmm. He said he wasn't going to prosecute. And the CPS went ahead and prosecuted an ITV um, sector from uh, Love yeah. Island and all that. Because that's what happens. That's mm. what has to happen. This is what happened to Weinstein. Weinstein's his trial's only now. You know, they've just but finished. It is kind of like, right, that that is how it has to happen. Because there's so many instances of domestic violence where the reason that, a, um, but you that they wouldn't that come forward. I understand that that's you like... You that Weinstein's been tried by social media. Woody Allen's been yeah. tried by social media. All those other people. Well, no, no, I mean, you can look at, like, the... uh, Let's not say that we quite like Harvey Weinstein. We know that he he did what he did. Harvey Harvey Weinstein. No, I think the the one you can look at is, like, Rod Stewart. The press absolutely hounded him and stuff when it came... There was allegations against him, wasn't there? And then... Rod Stewart? Yeah, there was allegations against him and loads of people, like, camped out his house and stuff. And then it went to court and it was all proven that it was completely ridiculous. Rod Stewart of the faces? Rod Stewart of being Rod Stewart? I don't... Let me look. Oh, I think I'm thinking of Cliff Richards. You are definitely the Cliff Richard. Oh, come on, same difference there. No, Cliff Richard and Rod Stewart are two entirely different people. Rod Stewart had one of the most credible rock bands in the 70s, the Faces in the early 70s. Made great records, Maggie May, Stay With Me, marvellous records. Cliff Richard was a light entertainment star of the 19... But still, uh, didn't didn't commit sexual assault. (laughs) No, we can have a whole whole list of people who didn't commit sexual assault. But I've just said that he had the media thing was the, like the press camped out his house and everyone went crazy about it and then it went to court and it was proven to be completely like I don't think fictional yeah like they looked at the um, allegations and it didn't get even get to court because it was so no. like proven no. to just be completely fictitious and it is one of those things of like 
the media decides one thing before a court has got the chance to. So yeah, everybody's blaming blaming the media and blaming social media for for Caroline Flack. I mean, it's obviously too difficult. It's too complex. Uh, you know, suicide is a very complex. Oh thing. yeah, and and so is like. Have you seen her recent? Her family released an Instagram post that she was planning to publish. It was a draft, and yes, that, that that she hadn't. Whatever, and where she says, you know, it was an accident and. I was going through an emotional breakdown. What I was about to say is on social media, mm-hmm. people have, have blamed the press. They blame Piers Morgan for some unknown reason, whether it's just the law these days that Piers Morgan has to be blamed for everything. They've blamed, and all sorts of people, because there was stuff in the paper about Caroline Flack. I mean, if people didn't want to read it, they wouldn't. the papers wouldn't, wouldn't print it. And it's just pointing the finger at the media is just such nonsense. What's the point? Why, is, saying, it, why is it complete nonsense to point the finger ju- at the media? They did... Come on, like the stuff that they wrote about her was pretty. Well, I know I never read it. You see, I wasn't even aware who Caroline Flack was. If you don't want to read it, don't read it. No, don't, I mean you can say the, that. No, you have a choice. Don't buy the Sun if you don't want to read that. The, yeah, the you showbiz. can say that as much as you want, but she was probably reading it. My advice to celebrities also is, you know, don't read all. Oh, that that's stuff. that's a massive oversimplification. Oh. You're saying that if people want to read something, they should just write. Like people wanted to watch beheadings. We didn't say that that was. That wasn't wasn't just the fault of the people who wanted to watch them. It was also the fault of the government for allowing beheadings. Oh, I thought you were going to blame Piers Morgan for that. Ha ha ha! It's just the the hysterical level of the debate over Caroline Flack. She committed suicide, which is a terrible thing, and it's also a very very difficult thing to do. And it's also very rare for a, a female of her age to commit suicide. So I'm just thinking that there are more complex issues than just point, oh, of course pointing there are. you don't. No, I, no, I, I agree, but I do it's think it was... It's much more complex than pointing a finger at the media. So deflecting me from what I was going to add on that thing about pimps and hoes, would you say that on your recent days out, you've ever been worse for wear? Worse for wear? Oh, mm. definitely. Mm. Let me give you Kathleen Moran's definition of being worse for wear. Right, go on. This was after the BAFTA Awards. Bleary-eyed Victoria Beckham looks worse for wear as she leaves the BAFTA party, according to The Sun. The gist was that Victoria Beckham had got absolutely hammered, writes Kathleen Moran. I kept looking at the headlines, then the pap shots, uh, paparazzi shots, uh, in confusion. The pictures showed a woman in an immaculate white tuxedo, hair smooth and glossy and flawless of face, holding a clutch bag and walking to her car in spindly heels. I'm sorry, says Kathleen Moran, but that's not worse for wear. Worse for wear is having a red wine stain across your tits and your trousers on backwards, one shoe in your hand and the other in a hedge 50 feet away. Your clutch bag left under a table or on top of the cistern in the toilet where you had a disco nap in half an hour ago. Have you ever had a disco nap? A disco nap, yeah. In the middle of a night out? Well, I told you. Oh, I fell I asleep on the toilet. Yeah. So, uh, have you been that worse for wear? I've, I think I've been worse for wear than a white tuxedo and glossy hair, definitely. Mm. No, I think um, we have a thing, well, it's we call it rock bottom, which I think is essentially just worse for wear. Um, you go to breakfast I mean catered accommodation at the uni so you can go to breakfast between seven and half ten and we often go together after a night out to discuss whatever what's <laughs> happened on the night out um, and you've got you get two so we've all got two of the same t-shirts basically you got a Vanbra Freshers t-shirt Vanbra is the college that I'm in at the uni and it just says 
2020 Van Refreshers. It's a terrible t-shirt, but it's very, it's your pyjama t-shirt. And then we did a thing called Viking Raid, where you all had to wear these matching t-shirts that said all the bars that you went to. And if you come in to breakfast with your Van Refreshers t-shirt or your Viking Raid t-shirt, you know that there are no other clean clothes. There's been no thought put into how you will look for the rest of the day. Often I think you're probably dirty, makeup still on. And that's the t-shirt that just says to the world this is it this is how this is the worst i'll ever feel that's rock bottom that's rock bottom British farmers have uh, hit back at veganism yesterday as they showcased a research that suggests eating tofu is worse for the planet than consuming most meats you've got to take this research with a pinch of salt as indeed you need if you eat tofu, don't you? Yes, because really? it's more than a pinch. More than a pinch. Uh, it was a conference in London anyway. Uh, academics and scientists uh, there argued that a meat-free diet could be unhealthy and uh, may damage the ecosystem. It's uh, unpublished research, but suggests that tofu, a protein substitute made from soy milk, has a worse impact on global warming than lamb, pork and chicken. He said the uh, perception that meat was worse for the environment than plant-based alternatives may be wrong due to, quote, complex agricultural systems. And yeah. I think it's another one of those issues that is probably more complex than we well, think. And I, all I really know about this is almond milk is like the worst for the environment. So are avocados, but that's not a meat substitute. But almond milk is terrible for the environment because it takes up loads and loads of water. You've just, almonds apparently need a lot of water. So if you're having milk substitutes, like oat milk is much better than almond. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, I'm probably a flexitarian. You know, I eat meat, but not... You're not a flexitarian. You're just an well, omnivore. Well, thank you. But no, I mean, like for lunch today, I had... No, you no, can't say, oh, I had a vegetarian meal, therefore I am a flexitarian. Flexitarian, that's silly. Well, flexitarian means nothing. A flexitarian... That's yeah, exactly, so... Well, that's what I'm making. A fle- I am, in the modern parlance, a flexitarian. No, I think... I, I, I think have a meat-free meal. Flexitarian more means, like, you do, like all the weekdays oh, vegetarian right. or like you only eat meat when you're on holiday like i think that's flexitarian it's not just the odd meal dependent on what i fancy <laughs> i don't eat meat yeah well uh, yeah, you're probably right actually but you always think if i if i go out and have soy which i have done on, on occasion you know especially the the deep fried soy that you get in chinese restaurants mm-hmm. and have that with some uh, broccoli and some noodles that is a, a non-meat meal. What I mean is I'm not wedded to the idea of eating meat. No. And if I do eat tofu, I think to myself, oh, I'm doing the planet a good turn. But it's much more complex than that because you don't know how things are made and how no. things are farmed. And that's why when the craze for, for veganism came in a couple of years ago, everybody said, oh, sooner or later, everybody will be vegan because mm. uh, it's to save the planet. The only way really to save the planet through diet is to eat all locally produced stuff, things you grow yourself, which is just unrealistic. Or at least it is for me. Like, the, there's no way I could do that. To have, a like, a completely carbon-neutral diet, for most people, I think, is pretty much impossible. Or even a no-waste diet, I think, is really, really difficult. But are you trying? Don't eat meat. Don't eat meat. I try not to eat... I try not to get stuff with like loads of packaging all the time. Although this week I did buy squeezy yogurt pouches, you know, like 
for baby children um, because I so, so desperately didn't want to have to dirty a spoon and then wash a spoon. Oh, right. I I, I, I didn't realise how much I loved having a dishwasher at home. A dishwasher, another terrible thing for the environment. Mm -hmm. And baths. Baths, yeah. Use a lot more water. Yeah. Yeah, even like a 20-minute shower. I have showers all the time, and quite short showers, like five-minute showers. Well done. I I like a long shower. (laughs) I try not to have them too often, but sometimes it's necessary. Should we play some music? Um, Yeah, let's. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, mine this week is uh, Emmylou Harris and Luxury Liner. Emily Harris and a luxury liner, 40 tonnes of steel. We've played uh, Emily Lou by First Aid Kit. Mm, one of my favourites. Brilliant, yeah. Well, Graham Parsons, who produced that, do you know the Graham Parsons story? No. Now, well, he was a Harvard dropout rich boy, saw her performing folk music, which she was doing sort of fairly unsuccessfully in a New York bar, and decided to convert her to country music, which she did, and they had a relationship for about a year or so, but entirely musical relationship. <laughs> Surprising for that milieu. Very, very much surprising for that milieu. And uh, he produced that anyway. This was brilliant album called Luxury Liner. It uh, sounds good. I might actually give that whole do, do, thing yeah, a listen because it sounds very up my street. Yeah, I think it is. It's, mm. uh, it's brilliant. What have you got for us? Rick? So this week I've got for you a song called Frankie Sinatra um, by the Avalanches. Sinatra. Ah, Frank Sinatra. Ah, Frank Sinatra. Frankie, me boy, don't you have a good voice 
Well, that's good fun. Fun, isn't it? Yeah. So that's um, by the Avalanches, who are an Australian music group. Mm. How rarely do we have Australian white, music are stuff they white on here? Boys? No, it's just two people. But anyway, it's, it's more like DJ sets and stuff, which they've got recorded. And then they've also got two albums, uh, Since I Left You, which was released in 2000, and Wildflower in 2016, which that song's from. But it's all this type of music called Plunderphonics. Plunderphonics. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's music by taking one or more existing recordings and altering them in some way. So, like, basically, the whole all of their music is just taking loads of different bits. So, I would really recommend listening to it because you start to recognise songs within their songs. It's really, really clever and it's like a lot of fun. Yeah, so it's like plunderphonics mm. and hip hop. And, and they, they, they reference one of my favourite genres, which is Calypso. I used to play, uh, <laughs> I don't know, because Calypso is sort of like a 50s thing, largely, and preceded reggae and ska and all those bits of uh, West Indian music that I quite like. I used to be one of the few people in Britain who played Calypso on a regular basis on the radio. Well, there uh, you have it. Yeah. Uh, Robert Mitchum, who was a famous actor, did uh, a whole Calypso album which, I mean, he couldn't sing Calypso to save his life, but I really, um, really enjoyed his album. Trying, and that reminded me of it, because they're talking about Frankie Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, obviously, one of the greats, um, doing Calypso. And he would have had a good voice for doing Calypso. It's brilliant. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. Mm. Now, looking at the emails, of which we have a few... Oh, uh, They're still trying to... They seem long. Uh, but they're still trying to get us to enter the Webbies. Oh, still? Yeah. I thought the Webbies would have been over and done with by now. No. Dear Ruth, it says, because you're obviously identified as the... As the the talent of the portion of the the show, you know? Correct. Yeah, fair enough. The lead. You're more like my... Sidekick. My sidekick, my co-star, the Robin to my Batman. Dear Ruth, says Claire from the Webbies, I hope you don't mind me getting in touch. We're very close to wrapping up this season's Webby entries and noticed that Ruthie, me and my dad, old name, is one of this year's best podcasts that has yet to enter. The Webby... Well, one of the best podcasts. That has yet to enter. The Webby Awards is the leading international awards organisation for internet excellence. So that's very much. Uh, Honouring the world's best websites, advertising, media and PR, video apps, mobile and voice, podcasts, social and games. Uh, I know my team and I... Anyway, they keep on going. She says, we've now extended... They've extended the deadline because we missed the deadline for the Mm. Webbies. They've extended it to this Friday, February the 14th, which actually, as far as we're concerned... Last Friday. So we've not only missed one deadline for the Webbies, we've we've missed two deadlines for the Webbies, which is a great shame. We lose the chance to spend between $160 and $395 to enter the Webbies. Is that how much it costs to enter? which I think is probably the key. It's why we keep being asked to enter the Webbies. But we will enter the British Podcast Awards, won't we? Yeah. Because we nearly won that. Well, I said... (laughs) Nearly won. (laughs) We were nominated. We were nominated. But we sat there enjoying... My name is George. What's it called? Oh, um... 
Have You Heard George's Podcast? Yes. Which is brilliant. It is brilliant. And it cleaned up. Uh, yes, but well, it was a great night sitting there watching George come up and go back. He seemed like a lovely guy, though. He did seem a lovely, lovely guy, but, you know, still, when you're sitting there... My dad wrote a partner, that one as well. That one of... Uh, one, at least. Yeah. Although I think I, I'm, other I'm years. Not that, I'm not keen on it. I want, uh, I've actually not given it a proper good enough yeah. listen to, um, but I do need to a bit more, because I'm oh, sure I would really like it. According to Graham Allen, though, we are the tops. Oh, really? Mm. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll, set the, I'll send this in with our awards as supporting <laughs> thing. He says, I'm one of Martin's cronies of many years from his other podcasting venture. I know you don't like to recognise Don't that like talking about it. Podcasting venture. He says, uh, so long ago, in fact, or he's been a, a listener for so long, he says that I remember Ruth's contributions from when she was four, oh my from when she was four or five years old. You got me to say some truly inappropriate <laughs> things. No, I didn't. Yeah, I was I, saying, like, piss off and stuff when I was, like, four years old. Outrageous. I can't believe I did that. Uh, he said, anyway... He, he, Using me? For- he says, on one occasion, this is when he's been listening to my uh, radio show, mm. so on one occasion, I won a champagne breakfast, brackets, which turned out to be a small bottle of Moe and a cheese board. <laughs> he says, on another occasion, I entered a competition, he remembers all these golden moments, where I had one minute to name ten famous Pete's or Peter's. It was oh, my God. Of, a minute? I couldn't do that. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of myself, and I probably couldn't do that. No. Pete Best, I can remember, the Beatles. Pete uh, Ducker. Pete Doherty, Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi, I've got Peter Purvis. So we can almost do it. No, we've got four. That's Ten bad, in a minute. Ten in a minute. Well, it was a competition. I obviously had no prizes to give away, so I made it like tenable, mm. where you can't win a prize. Um, he says, anyway, he said, I froze and couldn't name any. Not one single peach. He wow. says, 60 seconds of quality broadcasting, that was. <laughs> Just breath sounds. <laughs> yeah. Both my daughters are also avid listeners. Aww. So that's helping the demographic a bit. Uh, Sherilyn, 25, and Rowan, 24. And they're probably cringing when they realise it's me writing. Uh, I've had, had many of the conversations with my girls that you two have had, and they try hard to keep me woke. Oh, yeah, he really says, sweet. don't worry about going over old stuff again. Uh, sometimes things don't get resolved in five minutes, and it's always entertaining to hear you talk about important and or controversial podcasts. Anyway, I just wanted to tell you that I've listened from day one. And how many have we done now? 80-odd. A lot. Yeah. Too many. Um, I wouldn't still be listening. He says, yeah, thanks, Ruth. You're really, <laughs> you're really bumping I'm selling it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Graham, thank you ever so much. And we do appreciate it. And we also appreciate mm. Chris, who says there, hi there, you two. I just want to say hi and tell you how much I love the podcast. I'm a father of two girls who are now 19 and 22. Oh, that's my age. Yeah. He says, I've been living alone for 15 years, but we have a blast. That's him and his daughters. And we're so close. And your pod is always a joy. Uh, the girls are yet to become converts. <laughs> uh, but I love it. Exactly. Unsurprising. Anyway, I'm pretty sure you'll both like this new guy I've discovered recently. Uh, my girls both love him. And it's the Pistachio Kid. Do you know the Pistachio Kid? I've heard kid? of the Pistachio Kid, but I've not listened. Yeah. Well, I listened, uh, and I, it was very, very lo-fi. So ah, up my street. I don't know whether you 100% know what lo-fi means. Because well, you sent me so Billie Eilish's new Bond song came out, and yeah. you called it satisfyingly lo-fi. So I listened to it because I hadn't heard it yet, and it wasn't lo-fi. Is that not lo-fi? Not really, but I appreciated but the message not, on the lo-fi. Yes, it's, but it's good, isn't it? It's very good. Yeah, I yeah. like it more than well, definitely more okay. than Sam Smith's. 
Potentially more than Adele's. Yeah, that's I think it's good. a great song. Anyway, Chris would like you to listen to Park Song by the Pistachio Park Kid. Park Song by the Pistachio Kid. And maybe, if it's any good, we could uh, uh, elevate it to the music spot. Mm. If you do want to send us an email, it's uh, Martin and Ruth Podcast at gmail.com. That's Martin and Ruth Podcast, which is obviously all one word, Martin and Ruth Podcast at gmail.com. What's on your mind, Ruth? Should I tell you what's on my mind, Dad? Yeah, please Strikes. Do. There are big, big strikes going on. So there's more than 40,000 staff at 60 um, universities went out on strike for eight days last year. Staff of a further 14 universities are now voted in favour of industry action, so that's 74 institutions that will be going on strike. I think they've started already today and stuff. I've not, not at York. No, there's that. Oh, I think it was today, or maybe actually, it might be tomorrow. I think tomorrow the strikes start at York Thursday. Yeah, they sent a big email out and stuff, but it doesn't. I don't really know because it doesn't affect me. None of my teachers are striking, but my friends who do politics in English literature, they've got nothing basically for the next two weeks because all their um, teachers are striking. And so I, I think I'm very much in favour of the striking. Like, um, what what makes why are you in favour? So the especially seminar leaders they get paid for one hour of prep work so they get paid for two hours work basically if they're leading a seminar an hour seminar an hour of prep work that's not enough for an english literature seminar you've got to have read a book and have annotated it and analyzed it like that can't be done in an hour and it's wrong to expect it to be uh, another one of my teachers talking about how they're coming how do in you know about that? is this they've this is lecturers and teachers who have talked about it in directly to students in their like lectures or whatever. I had um, I had a lecturer who did. I've only got one lecture a week, but he did strike last time. There were strikes, and he sent an email to say like why he was striking about just being underpaid and overworked and that kind of thing. So he said. Um, this was some of the reasons why he said he was taking part in the strike and this is the last one Um, he said I think it's not fair to play dice with people's pensions we all contribute for a decent life after retirement it's not acceptable to change the rules of the game at half time so the pension the pension the the pension thing goes on that was one of the um, reasons for striking the first time he says that men and women should be paid the same for the same work which they don't in universities is this just often. lecturers that are going on strike no it's seminar them? leaders as well but seminar i think it's more lecturers because seminar leaders are often like phd students and stuff and um, mine is different because my course works quite differently to a lot of degrees but what I really want to talk about was i i don't know exactly why they're striking i think it's probably right that they are but um, what happens is they don't pay the lecturers when they do strike. That's obviously a reason why a lot of people can't strike. And the University of York in particular, I don't know the numbers for all the other unis, but they're sitting on £400,000 of the money that we're paying in our fees. Um, and so one of the big campaigns, we've got something called USU Elections. USU is the name of the students' union in York. And we've got the elections for the presidents and of various things. And one of the presidents who came to speak at the end of my um, of the boxing club that I went to um, was saying that the university have £400,000 of money and that should be going back to the students. It shouldn't be for the uni to keep it. And the uni haven't said what they're going to do with the money at all for all the... So either should go straight back to the students by 
price of lecture or whatever or it needs to be invested into stuff and it's completely wrong for them to just hold on to money like that yeah i mean it's not a fortune in fairness four hundred thousand. you know in no the, it's no 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 not all. in the, in the context, grand scheme of things in the grand scheme of there's the about i think there's about forty thousand students or something so it's about a tenner each it's not every student who's had strike time or industrial action but still four hundred thousand pounds is a lot not to give to every student but it's a lot to fund mental health services or sports clubs or academic clubs mm. but i think i think it would be silly to reimburse students directly yeah. i think that's just as much as it'd be lovely to have someone give you 10 pounds it's not really the bigger so this is the, the issue is that while the strike goes on uh, students who paid a load of money f- yeah missing... and it's also like um a lot of third year students have talked about it, it, it they, they've got dissertations coming up they they don't want to miss learning time you know when you're a first year a lot of people don't care if they miss two weeks of lessons. You know, it's great to have some time off. Mm, but, to wear your sombrero. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's really frustrating if you've got deadlines and stuff. And the, a lot of lecturers don't want to strike because they care about their jobs and stuff. Mm. Who's their argument? Help? Is there an argument with individual universities or is it with the Department of Education? Do you know? I don't really know. I think it's both, I would assume. Different issues for each one. So they say in their email from... Um, the vice chancellor of the uni that they think the industrial action that starts this week is premature and that it's the time when they should continue having positive conversations rather than striking and blah 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 but yeah i do think there needs to be more of a conversation with students though that says why and what for what reason absolutely because you that's missing on your sort of high cost uh, yeah i'm i'm very lucky i'm not actually but but it's also annoying if everyone else is not doing anything that you have to keep on going to everything. Well, I mentioned the, the high cost of everything, and I know it's in today's paper. More than one in three students took on debt on top of their loans, uh, according to research. Uh, some use payday loans, which is dreadful, mm. overdrafts and credit cards to pay rent on university accommodation. Uh, one in ten said that rent was a struggle before uh, other living costs were accounted for. So that's, rent uh, is just... It's so, so, so high. You're caught in a perfect storm, really, because between fees going up and the property crisis and the rent crisis, uh, the two things are just Mm, punitive, really. That's another one of the things that most of the people who are running for, like, president of societies and stuff are just saying that they want to, like, lower the fees. I think we've got to a point where now I think it was improving in terms of getting, like, working-class students into universities. But if they continue to hike rent prices, prices up like they are then it will freeze students out from low-income backgrounds regardless of how fair the men fair or not the maintenance learners finally i just wanted to talk to you a little bit about erasmus oh yeah that must be a worry because yeah. we're out in january or so next yeah january are we out or not? No, at the moment we're in a transition phase until for the first year we have a right. one-year transmission transition, which may eventually become a two-year transition. But at the moment, just hopefully, I think. Although again, like I don't really know anything because no one really does when it comes to ah, Brexit. Position of vague, vague knowledge. <laughs> yeah. um, but the Erasmus. What I do know is the Erasmus program runs in seven-year cycles. The next one to start is twenty twenty-one to twenty twenty-seven. So whether that'll start or not, I just don't know. But there are a lot of things that are saying... So the funding for programmes in the current academic year will continue as before, but I won't be going on my 
year abroad until 2022. So I don't know whether that will be included in whatever position. But the universities are continuing to tell you to apply for this funding as normal. But it doesn't know. It, you don't know whether it'll be a, via Erasmus or some kind of new national scheme. The article that I read in the on the BBC basically said that a national scheme will definitely not be as good as Erasmus. It's another word, basically. Yeah, or even if the UK decides that they want to be in on Erasmus, like the negotiations that have to take place, it might even not be able to... They might not have time to negotiate before the start of the next cycle. So there could be a period, and which I think could fall exactly where where my time is, where it's just not available for UK participants. And we've talked about colonialism uh, a fair bit and uh, Britain's shameful history in some, hmm. some areas and also the fact that we, uh, we nicked lots of stuff. We went around the world and nicked all sorts of stuff, including uh, the Elgin marbles. This is the Earl of Elgin who got bits of the Parthenon in Greece and Athens want the Elgin marbles back. <laughs> I didn't know we did that. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Greeks are really furious. They're, they're, they're Algin marbles uh, from the Parthenon. But this We should give guy, them back. We should really give them back, absolutely. A lot of people think we should. But the French, rather cheekily, and uh, in a very French way, have uh, demanded... We have got trade talks at the moment as part of the trade talks. But we should give the Algin marbles back no doubt about it, um, we should give them back to Greece without the French actually being involved at all, given their colonial history. So on behalf of Greece, they say, you should give the Elgin marbles back. I would like to give the Elgin marbles back without France so telling I, me to. So, yeah? so would I. Um, but the good news is that uh, a lot of universities uh, are giving back uh, these relics after pressure over colonial wrongs. Uh, university museums are accepting most repatriation requests from overseas for relics that were taken in what's described as contentious circumstances. Requests from indigenous groups for items ranging from feathered headdresses to human skulls are being agreed amid pressure from students to redress perceived historical injustices. Uh, the University of Edinburgh is in the process of returning Maori skeletons to New Zealand and last year returned skulls to Sri Lanka. So those would have had to be packed very, very carefully, a lot of bubble wrap to send skulls back I think they probably Lanka. sent them back, you know, properly. It wasn't just sort of <laughs> mail them across and hope for the best. Mm, uh, I think they might have been taken by someone. And Manchester University have returned 43 objects to Aboriginal groups in uh, Australia. But while I was... You know, I often say that we're pretty bad colonialists, but nowhere near as bad as the Belgians or the French or various others, including the Portuguese. We're pretty bad, Dad. The Portuguese are so proud of their colonial past and uh, Portugal had uh, big interests in uh, Africa, uh, the Azores, Macau, Mozambique, Angola, all sorts of Portuguese territories over there. Myself and your mother went uh, around on one of those sightseeing buses. You know, yes, in the city of deck, and you can have uh, you can get the commentary, which was very very funny. The commentary, but they say this guy who was so enthusiastic about everything said there are statues there to commemorate 
commemorate the fallen. It's a monument to the fallen who died in the wars of the 1970s in Africa. And I thought, that's the wars that the Africans were trying to get their own countries back from uh, from Portugal. But they were awfully proud of these things. And uh, there are loads of monuments to Henry the Navigator and Vasco da Gama and these well-known Portuguese figures who established the territories uh, abroad. And uh, there are all sorts of monuments to these people. And, what, and on the commentary it says, who introduced the new world to the old? Um, did you know that Spanish was speaking, spoken in most of the states in America way before English ever was? No, I didn't know that, yeah. but it doesn't surprise me. Spanish in... And the, the cities... We're doing about um, Latinas and um, Hispanics in the United States because it's, like, massive spanish-speaking population um and yeah spanish was spoken in the united states before english ever was hmm. i mean it doesn't surprise me yeah i I'd, i'm once i thought about it I thought yeah how how did i not assume that but you just kind of assume because of this colonial superiority that we kind of have that oh yeah it must have been english or whatever and no no but eventually english took over I well think. i mean kind of but whether it's a Spanish-speaking country is the big question that I have to answer and stuff. And um, most, like, massive... By 2050, the project... No, 2030? 2030 or 2050. The projection said that 30% of America will speak Spanish. Mm. I'll start with a normal meme. Mm. It's about cats. Not cats, um, like cats the musical. musical. Yeah. It's about cats it's the long. musical. It's long. It's long and it's about Cats the Musical, but I did think it was very funny. The story of Cats is that in the 1930s, the famous poet T.S. Eliot wrote a book of cutesy little cat-themed poems for his godchildren. And then, 40 years later, Andrew Lloyd Webber found a lost cat poem that T.S. Eliot had cut from the cat book for being too sad for children. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, whoa, a cat? That's sad. That's deep, man. I want to make a musical out of this. So, the producer assigned to the project was like... Okay, I guess you could maybe read these cat poems as a satire of 1930s British society. We could probably do something sort of interesting with that. I'm thinking a cast of about five, and and Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, no, forget the satire. Also, I want a cast of dozens and the most advanced special effects technology ever seen on stage. I've taken out a second mortgage on my house to fund this. And the producer's like, whoa, 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 do you even have a plot? So Andrew Lloyd Webber got a bunch of actors and writers and artists together and they hauled up and did cocaine and then did cocaine is crossed out, workshopped (laughs) for five weeks. And at the end of it, they emerged and said, the plot is that a bunch of cats are having a dance contest for the right to take a UFO to cat heaven. And then it made two billion (laughs) dollars. Brilliant, brilliant. But Uh, it's very good. And then I've got a your fashion for you. Um, when you've already decided to not go to your three-hour seminar, then bump into your tutor as you're walking home. What am I supposed to do now? And this is my favourite your crush. So, gorgeous guy outside Nisa, trying to promote your mate for the elections. I can't remember a single of the policies you were going on about, but you have my vote. Very good. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, just to uh, reiterate the address is martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to listen to the songs from this week in full and the songs from the other weeks, um, you can go over to our Spotify playlist if you search Ruthie, me and my dad, or Ruthie, Uni, dad and me, or Martin and Ruth podcast. Any of those will get you to our playlist. And if you don't go over too soon, uh, you'll be in time for Take the A Train by Duke Ellington. Yes, I've yet to put the songs on from last week, as dad has kindly reminded me. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.